You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray, y'all, and we'll get into the Word. Y'all ready? Yes, sir. I know you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you again for this opportunity, Lord, that you provide for us every week to gather in your presence. Father, I thank you for the word of God, and I thank you that you said that the word is alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we thank you and purpose in our hearts to receive from you. We believe to be taught. We believe to receive revelation by the Holy Spirit. We give permission to him, the teacher of the church, to cause illumination and light to come, Father, so that our lives can be changed. We can be uh, transformed into your image. And Father, I believe that it's going to cause faith to arise in our hearts tonight. And we be mindful to not just be hearers only, but we'll, we will be doers of the word as well. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you all want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 18 there, which are uh, the scriptures that we're going to be focused primarily on uh, for the rest of this series. And this is week number seven in our series on spiritual warfare. And uh, we're going to get into some nitty gritty details tonight about the armor of God. We're going to start talking about that. It's going to take us a few weeks to cover that because it is so deep and so rich. Uh, but I believe it's going to be helpful for all of us. Let me just again remind you of a couple of the things that we've been saying every single week in this series. And that is this, that we must always remember that the battle with Satan has already been won. It was won by the Lord Jesus at the cross in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And then we must always approach spiritual warfare as Christians uh, from a place of victory, not from a place of trying to win the victory, but from a place of having already obtained the victory. Because here's what Jesus did. Jesus fought the fight. He won the battle. And then he turned and gave the victory to us. And that's what it, uh, you know, I heard somebody say one time, that's what, what it really means to be more than a conqueror. As Paul said in Romans 8, is that we didn't have to actually do the fighting. He did the fighting for us, but then turned and gave us the victory. Matter of fact, I heard this illustration is that, you know, when a fighter, a boxer uh, fights a fight, you know, back in the day with Mike Tyson and those guys, uh, you know, and they would win so much money uh, in the fight uh, that when they would receive the check for their winnings, uh, very, if they were married, they would turn and give that check to their wife. Well, and the, the saying was this, is that the wife was not a conqueror. She was more than a conqueror because she reaped the benefits of her husband having win, won the fight. And that's exactly what it is for us and what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Now we've been talking about there are three different aspects to spiritual warfare. The first one is taking control of our minds, renewing our minds with the Word of God. Secondly is crucifying the flesh, 
dealing with our flesh, the fleshly desires and things that that uh, we have, that we all deal with, that might not necessarily be pleasing to God. And then lastly, after we've done, uh, after we've dealt with our minds and after we've dealt with our flesh and crucifying the flesh, then we can deal with the enemy. And somebody says, well, you know, why is it in that order? Well, it's in that order because if you deal with your mind and you deal with your flesh, you have shut the door um, on most of the advantage and upper hand and opportunity that the devil can gain over us. And so it makes uh, the actual act of spiritual warfare a whole lot easier. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 and let's begin in verse 10. I'm going to read again verses 10 through 18. And it says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching or being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, as we've been saying, uh, you know, in talking about the armor of God, that this is God's armor, God has given us this armor and uh, thank God he did not leave us spiritually naked to confront our enemy, that we have his armor that we can put on we have his spiritual weaponry that's been given to us and it's been given to us so that we can defeat any scheme that the enemy tries to bring against us. And so I want to talk to you for just a moment about the balance uh, in these weapons and how uh, these weapons uh, are grouped together. And uh, so let me give the, this to you. There are three defensive weapons three defensive weapons. They are the breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. So those three defensive weapons, the breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. And these weapons protect you and give you confidence and assurance so that you can move forward in your spiritual growth. The three offensive weapons are the shoes, the gospel of peace being shod, our feet shod or putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace, having the sword of the spirit, and then what's called the lance, L-A-N-C-E. Somebody said, well, I don't remember that being mentioned in the scriptures. Well, it is. It's just not, that label is just not put on it. But when we get around to studying that piece, it will make sense to you. And these three weapons, the shoes, the sword, and the lance, are the weapons that enable you to enforce and demonstrate Satan's already secured defeat. Now, yes, ma'am. 
Sorry, do you mind mentioning the fits of weapons again? The first three, the defensive, are the breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. Thank you, sir. Uh-huh. The breastplate, the shield, and the helmet. Now, there is a neutral weapon that's neither offensive or defensive, which we're going to spend a few moments talking about tonight, and that is the loin belt. And the loin belt, uh, it says that having, uh, let's go back to uh, verse 14. It says, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. And I'll show you in just a moment a picture of what this looks like. But this is the loin belt which the soldier would wear. Now I want you to keep in mind too, as we talk about these things, that the image that Paul had in his mind as he's teaching and sharing in this epistle about all of this armor was directly from a Roman soldier or soldiers that were assigned to guard him while he was in prison in Rome when he wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus. So uh, as we look at these pieces, we're going to study them. I'm going to show you uh, different pictures of each of the pieces so that you can have a visual image in your mind as well. And so let me go ahead and show you uh, what that uh, belt would have looked like. And so let me show you this picture right here. This is a picture that I found online of, of what a Roman soldier would have looked like. Now, this would have been a regular foot soldier in the Roman army. And uh, you can see many of the pieces, but the, what we're talking about is this piece right here that he, he wore around his waist. Now, this was very, very important and was a, a, a crucial piece of uh, his armor in that a lot of the important pieces uh, were held together by this particular loin belt. Notice his sword is strapped there. This breastplate that he would have had on would, been, would have been attached to it. This other small sword that he has right here, that's attached to it. All of these work together in, in holding the armor together. The only piece that would not have been directly attached to it would have been the helmet. And uh, we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. So here the loin belt uh, was the least attractive, the least noticeable, and the most boring piece of armor that the soldier wore, but it was of high, high importance. Now, today, uh, you know, if, 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 if more so with men than women, but uh, you know, your belt may like, seem like it's an insignificant thing, but without it, uh, you know, your pants fall down, your shirt comes untucked and you look a mess, okay? So it's even important to us today, but the loin belt was the most vital part of all the weaponry that the soldier wore. And the reason being is because it held everything else together. So somebody says, well, what is the loin belt? Well, the loin belt is the written word of God. Notice he says, gird up your loins with the truth. Obviously the word of God is the truth. It is our source of truth. It is not a source of a truth. It is source of the truth. Okay. And uh, the, the other interesting thing is if you have your Bible with you, uh, you're, you're looking at your loin belt there. In other words, this is the only visible piece of armor that you and I have is this right here. This is your loin belt. Okay. And you and I can put our hands on it. We can touch it. All the rest of them 
our spiritual speak spiritual uh, armor and spiritually worn okay now why is this so important why is having this loin belt of the word of god so important when you ignore the word of god and don't apply it to your life on a on a daily basis you have willfully chosen to let your entire spiritual life come apart at the seams. You'll be just like the humorous illustration I gave a little while ago. Your spiritual pants will fall down, your spiritual shirt will be untucked, and you will be a mess spiritually. So you can, you absolutely cannot function as a believer without the Word of God. And you can't do it without the Word having an active and central part in your life. And this is more than just a Sunday morning thing. This is more than just a Christmas and Easter thing. This is a daily feeding upon the Word of God and having the Word of God in your life. Okay? Now, I know a lot of believers try and function on the Word that they maybe heard weeks ago or months ago or last year. Listen, that is not enough. You know, I'm reminded of in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, how many times a week was manna provided for them from, from heaven? Six days a week, every day, they were to go and feed on this manna. Well, the same thing is true for us, that we're supposed to feed on this bread of heaven that comes from the Word of God. The Bible must be the governor, the law, the ruler, and the final say-so in your life. It can't be where you try and make this fit into your life. You make your life work around this right here. Okay? It's extremely, extremely important. Now, if you want to, put your marker there in Ephesians 6, and I want to go look at a couple of other scriptures. Let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. And Paul said this, writing to Timothy, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, verse 17, that the man or woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what Paul is telling us is, is the inspired word of God will provide for us all of the equipment that we need in order to walk in the power of God and victory over the devil. Okay, so it's imperative that we lay hold of this and that we uh, apply it regularly to our lives. So again, for the believer that neglects the Word of God, it's only a matter of time before they feel very condemned in every area of your life or, or their lives. You know, I don't know if you've ever gone a period of time where you haven't been in the Word or hearing the Word. Well, one of the great things that the enemy likes to bring into your life is this thing called guilt and condemnation. Let's go over and go over one book, or two books rather, over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. 
and uh, look at verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And again, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but it says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby or a babe. Now, what is this saying? That when we do not feed on the word of God, that we, we grow stagnant, we stay immature, and when we ought to be growing and, and making progress spiritually, uh, the Bible says that we, we're, we're having to just feed upon milk. And, um, you know, it would be a, a, a tragedy <laughs> if you had a grown child and that child was still wanting to be fed from a bottle. No, at some point, you have to wean that child off of milk and start giving them solid food and, uh, you know, so that they can grow. But notice what verse 13 says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Righteousness meaning our right standing with God. So what, what we don't want to be is unskilled where the word of righteousness is concerned because that is an inroad that the devil will use to begin to defeat you is when you don't know that you've been made the righteousness of God, that you are right in God's eyes, not by anything that we've done, but by his grace and by what the Lord Jesus has done. And when you lose hold of that truth is when guilt and condemnation begin to come in. And uh, that again is an open door that the enemy is able to cause defeat in our lives. So, you know, ask yourself, uh, you know, are you in need of peace? Well, the Bible says in Colossians 3, go over there, please. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. It says, if you need peace, let the word dwell richly in your heart. So I can say this, uh, little peace, little word dwelling richly in your heart. No peace, no word dwelling richly in your heart. Okay. You want peace. Let the word dwell in you richly. Here's Colossians 3, 15 and 16. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now I want you to know to pay attention to what he says there in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Notice it does not say God will cause the word to dwell in you richly. It says you have to let the word dwell in you richly. So we have a responsibility in this. We have a place in this. Now, when you make the decision to feed upon the word of God, God will be right there by the Holy Spirit to teach you the word and cause light and revelation to come but he will not force it upon you. You have to take advantage of it and you have to feed on it on a regular basis. 
Now, let me ask you a question. If you want strong faith, what do you do? In the Word. Get in the Word, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes how? By hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, the implication in this verse is this, is that it's hearing on a continual basis. So, you know, faith doesn't come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it's something that we must do on a continual basis. So if you want to stay strong in faith, then feed upon, hear the Word of God on a regular basis and stay there. So if you do not have this loin belt of truth positioned in your life and gird uh, or, or, or put on tightly around your waist, you will not be able to walk in the other pieces of weaponry God has given you, okay? So this is crucially important. So you start with the Word of God. Start with the Word. So before, even before you try and put on the helmet of salvation or before you try and take the, uh, you know, the sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon, you have to start with the Word of God, okay? Now, let's go and let's talk about this helmet of salvation, this helmet of salvation. Now, let me put a, a picture up here of the helmet for you. That is the helmet that the Roman soldier would wear. Now, there's a couple of things that are very interesting about this helmet. Uh, and actually, this would have been an officer's helmet. And so the, the Roman soldier's helmet was fascinating and, and a beautiful part of his armor. It was flamboyant. It was very purposefully loud and attractive getting. It was very ornate and intricate. Sometimes they would uh, put decoration on it and make it uh, take on the shape. They would mold it and take on the shape of an animal such as a horse or an elephant or a lion or something like that. And uh, very often you would see this plume on the back of it. This one right here is made out of horsehair, uh, but very often you might see a, a feather plume on there. And there was a specific reason that the soldiers would put these things, these decorations on their helmet. And uh, it was to get attention, get attention. If you saw a soldier coming with one of these helmets on, there was no doubt in your mind as to where he was from and what army he was a part of, okay? Now, if you'll notice also, they had these side pieces on them that were designed to protect the cheeks and the jawbones of the, the soldiers, okay? And they, they had padding on the inside of them because these helmets, as you can imagine, made out of metal like that were very heavy. And so they would have padding and chin straps that would hold them tightly to their head and try and keep them as comfortable as they possibly could. But uh, as I said to you, these helmets made the Roman soldier very noticeable. Now, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to compare this piece of weaponry to salvation? Well, I wanna say this to you. That is because your salvation is the most gorgeous, most intricate, most elaborate, 
an ornate gift God could have ever given you. Okay? So it's, it's very, very noticeable. The more noticeable the soldier's helmet was, the better. And when a person is confident, when a believer is confident in their salvation, in what Jesus purchased for us, then you are walking in the powerful reality of all that salvation means to you. And, and that makes you noticeable, not only spiritually speaking, but, uh, but naturally speaking as well. Now, again, we don't take any pride in the fact that, uh, you know, we didn't do anything to earn or deserve salvation. It was a gift that was given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. But I, I think sometimes we, we take it for granted. We use the word salvation so often that we often forget what a gift it was and how beautiful of a thing it was that Jesus gave us. So why was this? Let me go back and show you this picture again. Why was this so very important? Here's why. It's because the enemies, most of the enemies that the Roman soldiers faced carried a, a weapon that was called a battle axe. Now, you might have seen one of these in movies. It's not a hatchet. It's not an axe like you would, uh, you know, cut up firewood with. No, this was a huge axe, and it was meant for one thing and for one thing only, and that was to either do significant damage to the head of the soldier or to take the head off of the soldier completely. And so this helmet was designed, if you'll notice this back piece here, was designed to protect the neck as well. And uh, it was to keep their enemy from being able to bash their, their skull in or to take their helmet completely off. Now, here's what I want to tell you, that if you don't walk in the full revelation of your salvation, again, it's more than just being born again. It's more than just receiving Christ as your Savior, although that's where it begins but it is crucially important that we understand and we walk in the full knowledge of everything that Jesus bought and paid for and gave to us in our salvation. And if you don't walk in those things, then in all likelihood, you're going to feel the brunt of your enemy's battle axe coming to attack your mind and steal your victory from you. That's what all this is about. And it starts with a revelation of who you are in Christ and what belongs to you in your salvation. See, your enemy wants to cut you off from all of the benefits and blessings that Jesus provided for you in salvation. And if he can do that, and the way he's going to try and do that is to extract those things, take those things away from you in what you believe. That's where he has to start from. Now, as uh, you know, I've been trying to tell you or, or teach you rather is that what you believe starts with what goes on in your head, what goes on in your mind. And what the devil will try and do is whack away at your spiritual foundation in your thinking, telling you that uh, healing, deliverance, uh, 
soundness in your mind, peace in your heart, all of those things that Jesus bought and paid for don't really belong to you, okay? Now, here's what I want to say to you, okay? For you to leave the house, so to speak, without your helmet of salvation is equivalent to spiritual suicide. You're going to get your head bashed in. Now, not literally, obviously, but the devil is going to attack your mind and try and uh, mess up what you believe by attacking you in your thinking, okay? And this is where he is going to try and fight you. I love the fact, and I have it somewhere, but Joyce Meyer wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind. That is where the devil is going to try and attack you, is going to be in your thinking. Now, if, if he can't be effective in getting to your thinking, then he'll try external things but he's going to try and attack you in your mind, okay? So to address this and to put on the helmet of salvation, we have to spend time finding out what does the Word say about who we are in Christ. We need to find out what does the Word say about our healing? What does the Word say about our deliverance from what it, the things that the enemy wants to introduce into our lives, oppression and depression and those types of things. And what are the beneficial, the benefits of our redemption? You've got to get into the word and find out those things. And I'll say this to you, I'll, I'll teach those things from now until the time I go home to be with the Lord or Jesus comes back. But that's that's and that's awesome and it's a privilege for me but it's so much more important is when you get into the word for yourself and find out these things you know i heard it said one time my job as a pastor is much like a guide in a museum what my job is is to take you and guide you through the museum and show you things but it's your responsibility and it's, and it's what you have to do as a believer is to get in and find out the details and the truths for yourself, okay? Now, I wanna spend a little bit of time. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, please. And I wanna talk to you a little bit about what the enemy endeavors to do in your mind. And this is nothing new. You've probably heard this before. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, Paul said this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after or according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So I want to take just a moment and I want to talk about what are strongholds. Uh, you know, I've heard all kinds of different definitions of what a stronghold is. and and uh, But here's the bottom line. A stronghold is an enemy fortification built up in your mind. It's an enemy fortification built up in your mind. The word, the Greek word for stronghold is, and I'll spell it for you and then I'll pronounce it. It's O-C-H-U-R-O-M-A, Okurama, okay? O-C-H-U-R-O-M-A, excuse me. And it means, get this, a fortress 
or the same word is also used for a prison. Now, what does this tell you? Tell tells us that that strongholds are designed to keep outsiders from getting in and designed to keep insiders from getting out. And it's very important and significant that Paul used this word when he was talking about these enemy fortifications in our thinking. They're designed to keep other people from being able to help you and to gain access into your life. And they're also designed to keep you trapped and imprisoned in your life. Okay, so when someone has a stronghold in their mind, he or she has walls around him that are so thick, others cannot seem to break through to help them. Okay, and it's a very, uh, very sad place to be in. And, and listen, there's different varying levels of this, but, but the thing that you have to understand is, is this is what the devil is endeavoring to construct in your mind. And this is why we must keep on that helmet of salvation. Uh, like impregnable, invisible walls, strongholds are rooted in people's minds and emotions to keep others from getting too close to you and to keep you from being able to get help from other people. Okay? That's what the devil is after in all of these things. Okay? So this is a trick that the devil will use to keep people isolated and especially away from those people that can help you get freedom. All right? Now, how are these things constructed? Well, let me... Let me, let me ask you a question. If I was going to build a fortification, a fortress, or I was going to build a prison, however you want to look at it, uh, there's a couple of things that are going to be necessary for me to be able to do that. Do you know what those things are? Walls. Okay. Let, let me let me help you. How about some building material and time? Building material and time. It is not something that goes up overnight. It takes time. And so what you need to understand is the devil will work on these things over time to get these things constructed in your life. In other words, you don't uh, wake up one morning and you know your mind is free and clear and you don't have any strongholds and by the time you go to bed that night you've got strongholds in your mind it doesn't work that way it happens uh you know much like what we've read about the word of god but it happens line upon line line upon line let me say it to you another way it happens lie upon lie lie upon lie and those things are carefully constructed in your thinking over time Okay. Now what happens is, and the way it's so very subtle is that it is introduced to us one thought at a time. And as those thoughts get introduced to us and we permit wrong thinking to go unchallenged hour after hour, day after day, week after week, that eventually uh, the enemy begins to use those lies and insinuations and get this unrealistic fears to build thick, 
impregnable walls in that person's life. Okay, those are the building materials. It's lies, insinuations, and unrealistic fears. Okay, let me give you a couple of unrealistic fears that he'll try and use in your life. Okay, how about a, a, an unrealistic fear of rejection? Okay, maybe, and we listen, we've all experienced rejection in our lives, maybe some more than others, but what will happen is, is that the enemy will take advantage of that rejection and he'll begin to build a fear in you that everybody's going to reject you. So what does that do? It makes you shut down to where you don't you're you're afraid to embrace anybody to, you know, become friends with anybody, to make connections with anybody. Why? Because I'm afraid I'm going to be rejected. Well, I've got news for you, okay? Everybody is not against you. The devil would like you to believe that, but everybody is not against you. Now, not everybody's for you either. Let's be realistic, but not everybody is out to reject you and to push you down. Um, there are people, believers, that are out there that love people and genuinely you know, want to help us and embrace us. But the fact of the matter is, because we have these unrealistic fears of rejection, we don't let anybody else in. How about this one? How about an unrealistic fear of failure? You know, maybe you were told uh, in your life that uh, you, you never were going to be successful. You never were going to amount to anything. And so what happens is the devil brings and produces a stronghold based on unrealistic fears. So why should I step out and do anything? Because I'm just going to fail at it anyway. All right. Why should I pursue, you know, a, a college education? You know, I'll probably fail at that anyway. And so what happens is, is we build unrealistic fears in our lives along those lines. And it, it, listen, it's all based on lies and insinuations that get sown into our thinking. And because we don't address them, because we don't uh, do anything about it, we just tolerate it and let it go over and over and over again in our thinking. And what happens is the enemy is able to build a stronghold in that area. Now, somebody says, well, what's the first step to getting free from that? Well, the first step to getting free from that is number one, realizing your responsibility in it. In other words, you control what's going on upstairs. Okay. <laughs> you know, let's just be truthful about it. You have a say in what's going on up here. All right. So what's our part in that is we let that happen. Okay. Now, Again, there might have been factors that we didn't have any control over, but you know, at this point, uh, we let those things become strongholds. So what we have to do, number one, is we repent. And we say, Lord, forgive me for allowing this to become a stronghold in my life, in my emotions, and, um, and then ask God to forgive us and then to help us to tear these things down, to deconstruct these things in our lives. Now. There are two types of strongholds in our lives, okay? Here they are. Number one are rational, and number two, irrational. Number one, rational, and number two, irrational. Now, rational strongholds are the hardest to deal with. Anybody want to take a guess at why?
Okay, let me help you. Because they usually make sense. Rational strongholds will usually, in our thinking, make sense to us. Now, you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 5. Let me read 3 and 4 again. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Verse 5, casting down, I like the old King James better, imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now that word, arguments in the New King James or imaginations, in the Old King James, is the Greek word logismos. It's L-O-G-I-S-M-O-S. L-O-G-I-S-M-O-S. And get this, it's where we get our word logical from. Okay? So he says here that casting down things that might make logical sense to you. Casting those things down, and uh, we have to begin to pull those things down because they're what will begin to dictate in your life and form a stronghold of natural reasoning. You know, that, let me, going back to what I said earlier, you know, if you were uh, told that you were never going to amount to anything, and so uh, you built this stronghold of failure in your life, well, you know, listen. It might be true that nobody in your family has accomplished great things. That might be a fact, and it might be true, and it might make logical sense to you that if nobody else has in the past, then why should I in my future? Although that might make logical sense to you, does it mean that it's applicable to you, and with God's help, you are not able to accomplish something great? Okay, again, it, it, it's what we've allowed to get sewn into our thinking, and we have allowed that thing to get built up. So the logical mind, being able to connect the dots like that, although necessary and wonderful, because that's what helps us have this thing called common sense sometimes, but it can work against your spiritual life unless it is submitted to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So in other words, it might be a fact that nobody in your family has been very successful. It might be a fact that you were told that, but the word of God says that you can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you, that you have a potential in him, in the Lord, that is without measure and the sky is the limit. So whatever he calls you to do, you are well able to accomplish that thing. and it doesn't matter what your family history is. It doesn't matter what has gone on in the past. What is what? All that matters is what God's Word says and what the Holy Spirit brings to bear in your life. Now, that's rational strongholds. Now, there's another type of stronghold that people have, and that, those are irrational strongholds. Irrational strongholds are based on fears and worries that are completely unrealistic. Fears and worries that are completely unrealistic and are very often not founded on fact at all, okay? You know, we have a term, um, anybody ever heard the word phobia? 
You know, you <laughs> might have heard that people, you know, deal with phobias, okay, where, uh, you know, uh, I was trying to think of one, you know, where somebody is uh, afraid of dying early in life, you know, and, and, and you know, they'll even say things, well, you know, uh, I doubt I'll live past 50 years old or something dumb like that. And all of those things are irrational. They're, they're based on irrational things, not rational things. And so what happens is that builds up a stronghold in our life. Again, verse 5 of chapter 10 says, Casting down arguments or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now here's something I... If, I'm like Paul with finally, if you don't get anything else I say to you tonight, get what I'm getting ready to tell you right now. Okay. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. Mm -hmm. Let me say that to you again. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. Mm -hmm. Let me say it one more time. If you don't take your thoughts captive, your thoughts will take you captive. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the scripture that said that where Paul said, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And remember, I said to you that word devices in the Greek means literally means the word mind games, that he tries to play mind games on us. And uh, so what happens is if we deal with the thoughts then we're pulling the rug out from underneath um, those mind games he is trying to play in our lives. So we must take those mind games, those devices that the enemy uses captive, arrest them, arrest them. You know, I'm reminded of, you know, if, uh, if somebody gets arrested, the whole word arrested means that you are restrained and your power is taken away from you. In other words, if a criminal is arrested, they are arrested so they can no longer commit crimes. Their power to commit crimes is no longer available to them. So when you arrest or take a thought captive or prisoner, what you're doing is you're denying that thought the power of being able to be used by the enemy to play mind games with you, to begin constructing these strongholds in your life. So how do we do it? Well, you, you must address these thoughts. Now, if, if this is something that you deal with in your life, it's, it's going to become very tedious for you, but I promise you it is well worth the effort. What do I mean by that? If you deal with rampant thoughts that are contrary to the Word of God, you're going to have to begin to address those thoughts one by one to the best of your ability. Now, the way that you do that uh, is to put a, an opposing thought in your mouth. So if in your mind it pops in that, uh, well, you know, um, people in your family don't live very long lives. You know, you're probably going to die before you're 60 or 50 or whatever. Well, when that thought pops into your mind, put something contrary to it in your mouth. No, what the Word says in Psalm 91 is that my God will satisfy me with long life. 
okay? I have long life in Jesus' name. And so when you begin to do that, you're taking that thought captive, you're arresting that thought, and you're denying its power to be able to work in your life. Now somebody says, well, that just sounds like too much work, Pastor. Well, how, what's it worth to you? How bad do you want victory, okay? Mm -hmm. If you want victory bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes, you know? Not to be too blunt and too plain, but it's true. So going back and talking about, let me put that picture back up, all right? Again, uh, of the helmet. So when you have this wrapped around your brain, what you're doing, and I want you to picture this in your mind. As you are dealing with thoughts, as you're taking thoughts captive, as you're pulling thoughts down and you're opening your mouth with the word and saying, no, in Jesus name, I shall live and not die. And I'll declare the works of the Lord that God promised me long life. He said in the book of Ephesians that, that when I would honor and obey my parents, that I would live a long life and it would go well with me. When you're doing that, you're putting on that helmet and you're keeping the devil from being able to bash your brains in with that axe, that big old axe, and, and forbidding him the opportunity to be able to take your head off and, and keeping him from being able to harm you in that way. So with a strong knowledge of your salvation, a strong, and I'm not talking about just your ticket to heaven. I'm talking about who you are in Christ, what Jesus has bought and paid for you, what belongs to you in the Lord Jesus, who you are, who am I in Christ? When you get that wrapped around your mind, you are not gonna fall prey to his tactics anymore, all right? So let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter one. As I begin to wrap this up, 2 Timothy chapter one, and I'm gonna, I wanna show you a, a scripture that we've, we quote a lot, and it's a great scripture, 2 yeah. Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Okay, 2 Timothy 1, 7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but notice what he has given us, a, a spirit of power and of love, and what else has he given us? A sound mind. Okay. What does that mean? What does a sound mind means? It means having a saved or delivered mind. It means having a mind that is set free and is thinking clearly based on the word of God. And that's what that helmet of salvation does. So let me describe to you what someone looks like that has the helmet of salvation on. When you're walking in the full knowledge of your salvation, you think and talk like a man or woman that's saved, that's born again. When your mind is renewed with the word of God concerning all the blessings contained in your salvation, you think and talk like a saved man or woman. And when your mind is filled with the goodness of God, because salvation is tightly wrapped around your mind in that helmet, you think and you talk like a saved man or woman.
Mm-hmm. So when you walk and you live in the helmet of your salvation, you think like God thinks, you reason like God reasons, you believe like God believes, and you act like God acts. Let me say it to you one more time. When you walk with the helmet of salvation on, you think like God thinks, you reason like God reasons, you believe like God believes, and you act like God acts. Now somebody says, oh, pastor, I could never act like God. Well, I guess Paul missed it when he said, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. In other words, act like me and act like Jesus. Be just like Jesus. Okay, so he wouldn't have said that if it was impossible for us to do. So all of it begins by putting on that belt of the Word of God, and then secondly, putting on that helmet of salvation and stopping the enemy from beating your brains out, so to speak, in your mind and flooding your mind with thoughts and and strongholds that are contrary to the Word of God. And I believe that as we do that, we're going to do like 2 Timothy says, and we're going to begin to walk in this sound mind that God wants us to walk in. You know, and and let me say this, and then, then we're done. You know, there are several scriptures in the New Testament where Paul would say this, think soberly. You ever thought about that? What's the opposite of sober? Drunk. Drunk or inebriated, okay? Now, granted, I I personally have never been drunk, so I don't know how a drunk person thinks, but I can tell you this, I've been around some drunk people, and I can tell you this, they didn't think clearly. They did not think properly. They did not think logically, okay? They did not think in a way that uh, you know, what was the consequences of their actions? That's why drunk people do stupid stuff. All right. But, uh, but when he instructs us to think soberly, he's telling us to think clearly, concisely, to think in line with the word of God so that our actions will fall in line with the way God wants us to think, to believe, to speak, and to act in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. I know this was a mouthful tonight, but, and uh, the preacher did good. He, he got you done two minutes early tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. But I want, I want to encourage you, uh, you know, if you miss any of the previous lessons, go back and, and listen to those. But, but I really want to encourage you, if you can, uh, be on for Bible study the next few weeks because the, these pieces of armor are so very important, especially, now again, and I do want to mention uh, again, the resource that, that most of this material is coming from is from Rick Renner's book called Dress to Kill. If you are able to get that book, it's on Amazon, or you can get it from his ministry. Uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful in helping you connect the dots on what is covered in these eight or nine verses in Ephesians chapter six and why it is so crucially important for us. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.